Good morning, church family. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5 as we continue our study in that letter from the Apostle Paul to the church in Ephesus. And um, if you could turn there in your Bible, it's uh, page 1136 in your pew Bible. Um, And uh, if you could go ahead and uh, turn there. And then I want to ask you three questions. How many of you have been to a movie or you watch on live stream, you binge a particular TV show that you love and uh, didn't tell anybody about it? What do you do when you watch a great movie and you love that movie? How many of you have a favorite movie that you know that is your favorite movie of all time? Do you tell people about it? Do you share it with them? Absolutely, you do. Let me ask you another question. How many of you have a favorite restaurant in town that you like to go to? There's a place that is just like your old standby. It's where you want to go because you know the food is great, the experience is great, the ambiance is great, and you go out and you tell your friends and your neighbors and everyone about it, don't you? You share. You go, hey, I want to share this restaurant with you. This is how restaurants get uh, their uh, popularity, right? In some restaurants, there's a line outside, and then all of a sudden, what do we think? Wow, that's a really popular restaurant, right? And so we think about these things, and we talk about them. Let me ask you a question. How many of you grandparents in the room this morning have some pictures on your phone of your grandchildren? How many of you have walked around for the last year and not shown one person the picture of your grandchildren? No. Why? Because you are proud of your grandchildren. You want to talk about your grandchildren. You want to share your grandchildren with everyone around you, right? You may meet somebody in the grocery store standing in line and you'll go, hey, let me show you my grandchildren, right? This is what we do. We're proud of the movies that we love. We're proud of the restaurants we attend. We're proud of our grandchildren. Some of us are even proud of our own children, right? Some of us, right? And so here's the key. Today, we're going to look at the light of Christ. And my question is, how long do you go through life and not talk about your Savior to those around you? That somehow, that's taboo. That's not part of who I am. I'm that way in church, but then when I go out into the world and I talk with people, then I'm not as comfortable talking about Jesus. How many of you kids in school, it's kind of, ooh, that's a topic I don't want to, I don't necessarily need to impose myself on others about my Savior. But see, the Apostle Paul has a different opinion, and his encouragement to us as well as to the Ephesian church, the encouragement of Jesus himself is that we let the light of Christ shine through us to a world that so desperately needs to have hope. As Chad just uh, prayed, we have a lot of people in our community who are without hope. And what light is going to shine in their lives but the light of Jesus Christ through his church and through his children So in this passage here, we're picking back up on how we as Christians can be used of the Lord in order to shine our light of faith 
in the community in which he has placed us. And we all live here in Charleston. Some West Ashley, some James Island, some even Somerville or North Charleston, West Ashley. All of us are from a certain area. But every one of us in this room has a sphere of influence on people's lives. And there are people in your life today that are far from God. That are, if the world were to end tomorrow, they would spend eternity separated from a loving God. And the question that all of us have to ask is, do we want any of that to happen? So there's an urgency here that Paul places in front of the Ephesian church, and that's the urgency I want to place in front of us this morning. So in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 through 20, please stand if you are able for the reading of God's word. Picking up in verse 8, it says this, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. In the Lord. You are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for it is the light that makes everything visible. That is why it is said, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, this is your word. We open it up this morning. We ask that it will penetrate our hearts Break through the crustiness of our lives. Help us to understand that we are instruments in your hand, that we are pottery for the potter, that we are clay to be used and molded and shaped to be your vessels of blessing to a world around us that so desperately needs to have hope. And so, Father, use us. Oh, Lord, sometimes we want to just do our own thing. But we have to recognize, Lord, that your word does not give us room to do that, that we were bought at a price. And that price was the precious blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. And therefore, we no longer live for ourselves, but we live for the one who saved us and is there as a savior for everyone. Lord, I pray that you'll use us this week even to reach out to this community and love them with the love of Jesus Christ. Christ, to shine the light of Jesus to the world around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So the light of Christ, really, there are three aspects to living in the light of Christ in this passage. And um, I want to first say that the source of light is God himself. 
If you go all the way back to the very beginning of the Bible where it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And it says the earth was formless and void and darkness covered over the surface of the deep. And then in verse 4, it says this, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. God is the source of light. If you go all the way to Revelation and you look at the eternal kingdom of God, the eternal heaven that we will all go to one day. It says there's no reason for us to have a sun or moon or stars in the eternal heaven. Why? Because God himself will be our light. It's beautiful. God is light. Jesus Christ said, I am the light of the world. He, he said this in John chapter 8. He stepped outside of the temple court, right outside where the holy place contained the lights on the table. And Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Do you believe that? He is the light. He doesn't say, I am a light. He says, I am the light. And because of that, he then went on to say, Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ this morning, he is your source of light. That's why Paul says here that those who are once in darkness, once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord, Jesus Christ. Notice what he says there, though, in verse 8. He says, for you were once darkness. He didn't say you were once in darkness. It's interesting, isn't it? In other words, he wasn't saying that you were some unwitting victim as part of this dark world in which we live. No, you and I were contributors to the darkness of this world. Our sin whether it's inherited sin that we receive from Adam or it's the sin that we willfully choose to commit or the omission of certain things that we're supposed to do, which is also sin. Any of our sin contributes to the darkness of this world. And so we have to be three things when we are representing the light of Christ. The first one is we have to be fruitful. Be fruitful. Look at what it says there in verse 9. For the fruit of the light consists in three things, goodness, righteousness, and truth. The light of Christ produces goodness. What is goodness? It is moral purity, moral purity. It is an attribute of God. We read about that in 2 Chronicles 6.41. When Moses approached God and he said, show me your glory, God told him, I will allow my goodness to pass in front of you, Moses. In other words, the glory has a an attribute of goodness as part of his power and his majesty. Moses said, I want to see your glory. God said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. For those of us in this room who are Christians, we have been given the fruit of the Spirit, the singular fruit. There are nine of them, one of which is goodness. Love, joy, peace, 
patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Those are the nine aspects of the fruit, singular, of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So we are to lead, lead good lives. People are to notice our good behavior. They are to notice how we live in a good way, a pure way, a moral way. The world that we're living in right now is trying to make morality relative. But we understand that there is objective morality as according to the word of God. And so as Christians, we are to lead good lives. But then secondly, there's righteousness. Righteousness literally means right standing before God, that we are in right standing before the judge of the universe. In Romans 1, we learn that the righteousness of God is revealed to us in the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that the righteous will live by faith. This is what we learn in Romans chapter 1. Look over in chapter 4 of Ephesians here, verses 22 and following. It says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in what? True righteousness and holiness. So our lives should be marked by goodness and righteousness, walking circumspectly before the Lord. But then thirdly, there's truth. Notice what it says there back in chapter 5. He says, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. What is truth? Very succinctly, truth is the word of God, the Bible that we have in front of us, the 66 books that are inspired by the Holy Spirit. This is the truth of God. This is everything we need for both faith and practice. But it's also the gospel. It is also the gospel. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, we read these words, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And in John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus declares himself to be the truth. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life And no one comes to the Father except by me. You see, we live in a world where everybody says, I want my own road to heaven. I want to be the captain of my own ship. I want to drive my own car. I want to live life the way I want to live life. But that is not the plan of God. The plan of God is that you give up your life in order to gain it. Because there's great abundance in the life that is in Jesus Christ working through you. We understand this. But it's certainly not understood by the dark world in which we live. Truth is, in fact, embodied in Jesus Christ. In John chapter 3, verse 21, it says this, But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light, so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. The truth will lead us into life. Turn over, if you will, to Ephesians chapter 6. And we see the the battle here is not against flesh and blood, but against the powers, the rulers, the authorities in the age to come, in the heavenly places. Look at what it says there, beginning in verse 13. 
Ephesians 6.13. Therefore, we are told as Christians to put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. And then it says this in verse 14. Stand firm then with the belt of truth. And also buckled around your waist and the breastplate of righteousness. Do you understand that those are two parts of the army armor of God for us to wear on a daily basis? We live in a world where we need to have the full armor in order for us to stand in this dark world. The Christian is called to produce light to a world around us. And we do that through goodness and righteousness and truth. But then the light is also used to expose the fruitless deeds of darkness. Turn back with me to chapter 5 and look at what it says there in verse 11. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. Now, that word expose literally means to shine a light on, to evidence to make apparent to everyone around. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill will not be hidden. No one takes a light and puts a bowl over it, but instead puts it on a lampstand so that all of the room, everyone in the house will have light. And then he says this, therefore, Let your light so shine among men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father which is in heaven. You see, that's what we're to do. We are to shine light on this world. We are to expose it. It's interesting. I haven't said this yet, but in our entire study of Ephesians, do you know how many imperative or commandments that are in Ephesians chapters 1 through 3? These are commands imperative statements. You must do this if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. In chapters 1 through 3, there are zero. In chapters 4 through 6, there are 39. You understand? Because now, it's not just what we believe. It's now how do we manifest what we believe in our daily living. That's where the imperatives come. That's where the commands come. And one of those commands is that we would expose this dark world. John chapter 3, it says this. This is the verdict. Light has come into this world. But people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. In verses uh, 11 and 12, it tells us to expose this. Uh, In Corinthians chapter 6, it says, what fellowship can light have with darkness? It's in the context of being unequally yoked. You young people who are unmarried, if you're looking for a mate, okay, maybe you are. But I will tell you, the second, uh, first Corinthians chapter 6 is helpful to us not to be unequally yoked to unbelievers, Why? Because that becomes a barrier to your being united in Christ. You understand it's important that your worldview, your your biblical worldview is something that you share with your eventual spouse. 
This is why he says, don't be unequally yoked. It's the same way that we are as Christians to live. We're to live in this world, but not of this world. We are not to partake in the evil deeds of those who live in darkness. Instead, we are to be a light. And that's why he quotes here from Isaiah chapter 60 in verse uh, 14. It says, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So my question for all of us this morning is, are you being fruitful in your Christian walk? What does fruit look like? How are you producing fruit in the world in which God has placed you? You know, this is tough for many of us. It's a, it's a, it's a difficult question for all of us to ask ourselves. You know, I, as a pastor, I hear a lot of people ask me, can I lose my salvation? Or how do I know that I'm truly saved? How do I know that when the end of my days come, I'm going to go up and not down? And I ask them the same question. What is the fruit of your salvation? Can you point to it? Can you use examples Do you know when times in your life when you have represented your Savior in the right way? You see, this is really the hard question for every Christian. Am I being fruitful? It is manifest in our goodness, our righteousness, and our truth. And it is also manifest in us exposing the darkness by becoming the light around us. We live in a crazy world right now, don't we? It's crazy out there. There are people who believe certain things. These ideologies are coming to the surface that are so anti-biblical that it's hard for us to know how to engage the culture around us. But Paul tells us we are to be light to a dark world and recognize that we were once darkness ourselves. Amen? So secondly, we are to be wise. Look at what he says there in verse 15. Be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Now what does it mean to be wise? You know, the the cornerstone Judy read from Proverbs. If you want to know anything about wisdom, you can read Proverbs. Uh, much of which is written by Solomon. Many would say he was the wisest man to have ever lived because of the wise act that he uh, did when he first became king. But it's interesting that uh, in Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, it says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So therefore, wisdom is carefully applied knowledge. That's what it is. It's carefully applied knowledge. That's why he says there in verse 15, be very careful then how you live. I'm convinced that those who are in Christ, those who have a daily diet of Bible study, where we're not just reading the word of God, okay? Here's my encouragement, little commercial, okay? I want you to study the word of God. That's why when I give out the sermon notes, There's tons of cross-reference verses for you to go and study. 
I hope that you take that seriously throughout the week. Like this week, go and take the sermon home, uh, notes home with you and start looking at all of the cross references. Do you know what happens? It starts bringing together all of God's plan from various different passages and scriptures, and it talks about a particular topic or phrase or doctrine, and it builds your faith. It allows you to understand the bigger plan of God as revealed to us in Scripture. And so I I encourage us all to do that. But I think when we do Bible study like that, we start to adapt to the wisdom of God. We start to be imbued by His wisdom. Wisdom where we can then learn how to live in a way that glorifies him and shares the gospel with others. You see, that's wisdom. Wisdom isn't based on your age. It's based on the amount of exposure that you've had to God himself. Do you revere him? Do you worship him? Do you study his word and obey his spirit? To the extent that we do that, then the spirit lives in and through us. So wisdom is made most, uh, is, is evidenced by these three things. Number one, we make the most of every opportunity. Look at what it says there at, in verse 15 or 16. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. In Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6, Paul then talks to us about how we are to approach outsiders, people who are not in the church, people who are in darkness. It says here, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders and make the most of every opportunity. Can I ask you a question? How many of you have been in a relationship with someone for some time and you've never once shared the gospel or the reason for the faith that you have with them? That should be convicting. Because here's the key, the opportunities are going to come. And I'm not saying you need to be a judgmental and boisterous Christian who comes across. That stereotype is no longer good, okay? You are to love people. If somebody says, you know what, I'm tired of you talking about Jesus. Honor that. Respect that. So how do you do it, okay? You don't try to jam it down their throat. What do you do? And I have to take, I have to take my own advice here. Because I do that. But then the next thing we need to do is just what? Trust the Spirit. We're not the ones who are going to save people. God is going to save people. And so our job is to do what? Is to pray for them. Lift them up to the Lord. And, let, and say, Lord, give us opportunities to engage these people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not only that, but it says there that we are to understand God's will. Do you know what God's will is? Have you ever done a study on God's will? You know, I did a study in preparation for this passage. um, And it's interesting. It's uh, the Lord's Prayer, Jesus included in the Lord's Prayer. He says this, thy kingdom come, thy what? Will be done. Where? On earth as it is in heaven. And so Jesus incorporated God's will into the Lord's Prayer. When Jesus was in the garden, Right before his crucifixion, he knew he was going to the cross. He knew he was going to die a shameful and painful death. And Jesus was in the garden. And what did he do? 
Oh, Lord, if it's possible, let this cup of judgment pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but what? Thy will be done. You see, Jesus is our example in everything. In Colossians chapter 1, we read this, that we are to ask God to fill us with the knowledge of his will. That's what we as Christians are to do. Lord, give me the knowledge of your will, not only for my life, but for the life of those I love. Help me understand your will, okay? When I was diagnosed, that was my prayer. Lord, whatever your will, I'm good with it. I trust you inherently. Everything about, I don't exist without you. I don't breathe without you. Therefore, I trust you. And when we get to that place where it doesn't matter what happens in our lives, that we have a God who loves us, will never forsake us, will always be there for us, and he will redeem us at the end of days. Praise God and hallelujah. I'm good with that. Because this life is fleeting. This life is temporal. This life is, if this is it, oh, what a miserable existence for all of us. But the beauty of it is, is that I'm going to take one breath on this side of heaven and I'm going to take my next breath on the other side in the presence of my Savior, Jesus Christ. So death is not the end for the Christian. And our job is to take as many people who are in darkness, out of the darkness, into his marvelous light. That's our job as Christians. And to be wise is to understand the will of God. And if you did a study of the will of God, you would see in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, it says this, it is God's will that you should be sanctified. It's God's will that every single one of us in this room, every single person listening by live stream is to be sanctified. Do you know what that means? To be set apart, to be holy, to be holy. In Christ, 100%. Submitting to the Holy Spirit's leading in our lives. That's God's will. But then secondly, it says in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will. So it's God's will that we be sanctified, and it's God's will that we be thankful. Just when things are going well? No. No. In all circumstances, no matter what you're going through, I don't care if you just lost your job, be thankful. If you just got out of a bad relationship and now it's broken and you're sad and you're just, you're like, you're devastated by it, be thankful. Why? Why would I be thankful when these bad things happen to me, when my children go wayward? Be thankful. How can we do that? Because we understand that it's not about what we do, it's about who God is and his plan for us. Our job is to trust him no matter what. And then finally, God's will is revealed to us in John chapter 6. It says, it says this, it is God's will that he, that is God the Father, lose none of those who are in Christ. It's God's will that he will keep you until that day. He's not going to lose you. Nothing can pluck you out of the hand of Almighty God. Isn't that wonderful? The assurance of our salvation is real. But we must understand that when we are in his hand, we are his possession. And therefore, we must live for him. And that's what wisdom is all about. 
But then thirdly, it says here, not only are the wise supposed to be uh, taking, making the most of every opportunity, that we are to understand God's will, but then we are to be filled with the Spirit. Look at what it says there in verse 18. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Okay? So I'm going to talk about drinking for a minute. Okay? And it's interesting that the Bible <clears throat> says to not get drunk. The Bible tells us don't get drunk. Okay? And the reason that we should not get drunk is that it leads to debauchery. Now that word, we don't throw that word around a lot, but debauchery means that you're doing things that are completely uninhibited, that you are unrestrained in your own behavior, and you're probably acting a fool. How many of you have been around people who've had too much to drink? Do they talk a little too loud? Do they say stupid things? Yes. That's what happens, and that's what the warning is. Did you know that Noah got drunk? After God rescued him and his family and brought him through the flood on the ark the very next week or whatever, Noah gets drunk in his tent. Noah got drunk. Proverbs warns us that wine is a mocker and beer is a brawler. In Corinth, they were taking the Lord's Supper and using the wine to get drunk before they even participated in observing the Lord's Supper. They were getting drunk. Paul had to address that in Corinthians 11. However, and this is a key point for all of us this morning, and we're a Baptist church, so I'm probably going to step on all kinds of uh, tradition here. Nowhere in the Bible does it prohibit drinking. Nowhere. You mention, you, you find one verse where it says, thou shalt not drink an alcoholic beverage. And some would say, well, Jesus drank grape juice. Really? Is that what you think? He turned water into wine, and that wine was much better than the wine they served at first at Cana of Galilee. It's interesting, too, that when Abraham came back from winning a war, rescuing his nephew Lot, the high priest Melchizedek comes and brings bread and wine to Abram. Wine was also used as a drink offering in the Old Testament. In Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers, the drink offering consisted of wine. Jesus turned water into wine at Cana of Galilee. Jesus drank wine at his last supper. And interestingly enough, Paul, the writer of Ephesians, writing to his young protege, Timothy, told him, drink a little wine for your stomach illness. So it's not bad to drink wine. What is it bad to do? Drink too much wine. And here's where wisdom really comes in. This is what it, why it's tucked in with wisdom. The lesson here is to be wise. If you have a friend who struggles with alcohol, don't invite them over to your home and introduce alcohol to them. That's not, that's not living a life that's going to lead your brother or sister in the right way. Be wise. It doesn't say we can't drink, but it, I will tell you as a pastor, here's the thing that you've got to ask yourself the question. Why am I drinking? What's my motive? And if you understand that your motive should be something that is for enjoyment among others, great. But if it is to get drunk, that's a sin. That's a sin. Instead, what Paul does is he says, be filled with the Spirit. In other words, don't be filled with spirits. <laughs> be filled with the Spirit, okay? 
Because if you're filled with the Spirit, then He will guide you into all truth. Right? He will be the one who comes through you out into the world around you. And the question that every Christian, I I say this, this is kind of a refrain, but to the extent that you and I really submit to the Holy Spirit in our lives, it's to that extent that we are usable by God to do great things. When we wake up every morning and say, I've got this, God, I'll call you when I need you. That's not the right attitude of the Christian. Instead, when you wake up in the morning, you say, Lord, this is your day. Help me to live according to your will. Help me to be a light to your world. Help me to be a person who loves people like you love people. And when you do that, then all of a sudden the pressure of life comes off your shoulders. Because guess who's the captain of your ship then? It's Jesus. It's no longer you. It's not on you to make your day great. It's on him. And you submit to him. Isn't that wonderful? Taking the pressure off and letting him guide us. So that's wisdom. And then lastly, be thankful. Look at what it says there. Speak to one another in verse 19. With psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Always what? Giving thanks. Being thankful is an important aspect of the Christian life. We need to be thankful for God's provision. In 1 Timothy 4.4, Paul says this, For everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. Number two, prayer. We are to be thankful even in prayer as we come to the Lord and make our petitions before him. It says in Philippians 4, 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And you understand that the Psalms were the the hymn book of the early church. The book of Psalms was the hymn book. In fact, Psalms 120 to 134 are known as the Song of Ascents. The Song of Ascents. We're looking, we're going through the summer in Psalms, are we not? Okay, you you just read Psalm uh, 22, correct? And this week you'll be reading Psalm 23. And then next week you'll read Psalm 24. Guess what? All three of them are connected. All of them are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. The Psalm 22 deals with his crucifixion. And let me tell you, the language in Psalm 22 is amazing. It is a most appropriately accurate description of the crucifixion experience of our Savior. Written a thousand years before it happened. A thousand years before the Romans even came up with that instrument of death known as the cross. You don't believe God? You don't believe God's word? Psalm 22 is the crucifixion of Jesus Christ fulfilled. That's why Jesus hung on the cross and he uttered the words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I'm convinced that he wasn't necessarily feeling those words and just saying them. No, no, no. He was doing what most Jewish people understood, that he was quoting the first line from that psalm because he knew any good self-respecting Jew would know the rest of that psalm. It's kind of like if I start humming a tune 
you know, sweet Caroline. Okay, all of you will start singing the rest of that song the rest of today. And what happens is it's in your brain. I just sang one line of it. That's what Jesus was doing from the cross. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He is letting them know. Go back to Psalm 22, and that is being fulfilled in your presence right now. And then what he does is he takes us to Psalm 23. Guess what Psalm 23? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Jesus, in his burial state, he is buried. But God is with him. And then Psalm 24. Oh, King of glory, come in. The King of glory. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, mighty in battle. He is the King of glory. Of glory. It is the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. He is our King. So now I've just given you all three Psalms last week, this week, and the next week. Psalm 22 through 24. It's all fulfilled, but they were sung by the early church. They sang a hymn after the Lord's Supper. Now, why do we sing? Anne Marie does a phenomenal job. The choir does a phenomenal job. All the musicians, the AV, all of this. If we, why do we do it? to prepare, to cultivate our hearts for God's truth. Because that's what the word of the psalm is supposed to do. It's supposed to point us, help us understand biblical truth so that that biblical truth can kind of get into our heart, till up the ground, really prepare it so that when the word of God is preached, it resonates with us and it stays with us and it carries us week after week after week. So we are to be fruitful. We are to be fruitful. In the light of Christ, we are to be fruitful. Is your walk fruitful today? We are to be wise. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity. Knowing the will of the Lord and being filled with the Holy Spirit. Wisdom is your walk characterized by wisdom. And then lastly, thanksgiving. Is your walk characterized by singing in your heart to the Lord? Do you love Him? Are you thankful for him? Is he moving in your life? I can tell you right now, he's moving in mine. And I'm thankful. I'm thankful. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for another day. Are you thankful? Let's go to Lord in prayer. Father, we are grateful for your love for us, which was manifest on the cross as a demonstration of your love for the world. When John the Baptist saw Jesus, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Lord, we thank you that you are faithful, that you will carry us through whatever trials and tribulations that this life brings, but that you have called us to a high calling, a higher calling than we could have ever imagined, that when we came humbly into the family of God through the work of of Jesus Christ, paid our price of sin on the cross, that we were then to be light to the world, even as our Savior is the light of the world. We are to reflect that light through a fruitful life, a wise life, and a thankful life. Oh, Father, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.